are uh, working through a course called um, Creative Bible Study Methods. And it's, you know, the reason we're doing that right now is we're, we used to do this on Sunday evenings, but I needed to take a little different attack uh, or approach to this. So we're doing it on Wednesday nights. We do have a Bible Institute. Uh, we have 590 students as of this morning um, all over the world. Fascinating deal. And we just signed an agreement with Third Millennial, uh, which is a big curriculum producer of college-level materials. And so we have access now to some really amazing stuff. Very cool that God opened that door. Uh, and so uh, you can go to our Bible Institute for free. You can earn an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree in ministry. That's a pretty good deal because uh, free is always good. And um, so we're doing one of those courses right now that, that you can take, and, and uh, that's very cool. And we'll, we'll probably do a couple more, and then we'll, we'll see where we're at from that. But uh, this is about how to study the Bible. And then our last series, you know, I was talking about the importance of um, developing some spiritual habits. And one of the ones that I hope you have developed in your life is a, just a solid Bible time in your life, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, um, you know, looking forward to that time. And, and so we've, in this course, we've introduced you to a lot of different ways to study the Bible, and, and hopefully that you, you know, it draws you back to it so that, that you sort of sit down and just read it and study it and see how it's, uh, how amazing it really is. Last week, uh, we started talking about um, the prophetic sort of side of things, and uh, maybe it was two weeks ago, but last week I actually worked you through a prophecy in Daniel uh, in, in chapter 9. And we saw how from 538 B.C., somewhere in there, Daniel effectively predicts the day when Messiah will enter the scene. And we worked through the calculations, and pretty fascinatingly, to the day, he nails that prophecy. Uh, and the, the Bible is like that. It's filled with these amazing prophetical, uh, prophetic truths. Because uh, as we looked at last week, God knows all things, and, and so uh, he knows how things are going to happen and what's going to happen, and he speaks into it. And it really is what sets the Bible apart from any other type of book, is the fulfilled prophecies that we have in Scripture that were written well before these events happened and uh, still continue to happen. And, and, and um, a lot of the prophecies have been fulfilled, but there's still some we're waiting on. And uh, and, you know, most of that is the return of Jesus and the things that have to happen for that to happen and what that looks like. But what I thought I would do today, since it's uh, the Holy Week and we're, we're heading up to, uh, we just had Palm Sunday, we're heading up to the uh, uh, crucifixion and resurrection and we're celebrating that, is that we would take a quick look together at the seven feasts that Israel was um, commanded by God to observe uh, and that these seven feasts uh, have a prophetic link to the events of the crucifixion and the resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which is obviously Pentecost, a little further down the road, and then to the end of the harvest and some things. There's some things that you should know as we talk about um, prophetic uh, truths from the Bible that are contained in these feasts. So I want to just kind of spend a little time talking about um, those with you. The seven feasts that Israel was commanded to observe were Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, Pentecost, trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles. Those seven feasts every year were on the calendar, and Israel was told, don't miss them. And all of those feasts are recorded for us in Leviticus chapter 23. If, if um, you were uh, uh, an Israelite, 
something and you didn't know much scripture, you knew Leviticus 23. Uh, you know, we, we've talked about how the religious leaders knew big chunks of scripture, but the average sort of person would have known Leviticus 23 primarily because these feasts were commanded and uh, missing the feast, particularly atonement, would cut them off. And so they needed to know when to celebrate these feasts and they would celebrate them faithfully every year. Now, the amazing thing about these feasts is that they were um, prophetic in nature. So they, they, they sort of celebrate events that, have, that happen, but they are pointing to an event that's going to happen. And what's fascinating is that when Jesus comes, um, and at this, this week now, as he goes through crucifixion and resurrection, um, he's going to fulfill perfectly the first three of these seven feasts that they've been celebrating. And at the day of Pentecost, feast number four gets perfectly fulfilled, right when it should. And, and then we'll, if we have time, I'll say how we're, we're, we're waiting on feast number five. We're in a season between four and five. And um, that's the harvest season that we're in right now. And that, that season ends at trumpet sound, and we can go all over the place with that if we get a chance. So uh, just as I said, sometimes there's these, these things that happen, and there's events that um, when you read prophetic, there's sometimes there's an immediate event and a future event, and you need to know the difference. And sometimes there's little timing gaps. Like last week we looked at the 77s, the uh, 70 weeks of years from Daniel, but after 69 weeks, which people said, asked me last week, I didn't make it clear. How do we get to 69 weeks? There were seven weeks of sevens and 62 weeks of sevens in that prophecy in chapter 9, which is 69 weeks. And there's still a week of sevens to come. There's seven years that we're waiting on to be fulfilled. We're in a gap. We're, we're in, we have a gap in these feasts that we're looking at prophetically. But let me hop in and tell you how these things were fulfilled. So Passover, most of you heard of Passover. Leviticus 23.5 says the Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. And so we know that this was the, the, uh, the last supper time was happening on Passover and all these things were happening. And so we know those events are taking place. Remember, you know, he needed somewhere to celebrate the Passover and that's all happening. These events are happening. And so we know those things. And uh, so we know the time is, is taking place. And um, what was supposed to happen at the Passover, Exodus 12, 5 through 7, the animals you choose uh, must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. And then they are to make, take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. So uh, if you went and look at that verse, what happens in Passover is the people um, of God were commanded to take a, a lamb without defect, um, perfect, and they would actually bring it into their home for a little while. And, and then they would slaughter that lamb and uh, they would eat that lamb. But it's going back to this time in Exodus when at the very first Passover, the blood of the lamb put on their doorpost caused the angel of death to pass over that house and the firstborn of Israel were saved. So it's celebrating that event. But um, you're starting to read some things that you probably have seen happen in Scripture, like a perfect lamb and uh, the blood of the lamb and sort of things that are happening in our lives. Well, uh, in, in the New Testament, in Matthew 26, uh, we know Jesus said he took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
And in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, um, when John the Baptist sees Jesus, uh, it says the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we, we see that um, Jesus and his blood is, is what's going to be offered at the Passover. And, and the, remember, the Jewish people would have been celebrating the Passover for thousands of years at this point. And they should begin to see the picture falling into place, and it was available to them to see if they could see it, uh, that, that Jesus was, the you know, John says he's the Lamb of God. Look, the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, a Lamb without defect. Um, it was a big deal that he was coming, what he was doing. And so he actually begins to fulfill these prophetic feasts perfectly, dates and times when he was going to go and, and shed his blood for the remission of sin. Well, the very next day, so these days are happening. Remember, too, sometimes people get confused counting Jewish days, but their days count differently than ours because they, they do a couple of things. Their day starts at night and rolls over a day. So our days start early in the morning. Theirs didn't. It started at 6 p.m. So you have a night issue, and they counted days a little different than we do. They, like if we said three days from now, you wouldn't count this day. You would go one, two, three. Well, Jewish people would count this day as one, two, three. So it makes a huge difference in the way that you look at things, but just kind of keep that in your knower. So we have that first one happening right when it's supposed to happen. Jesus is at the Last Supper, and he's about to go and give his blood, and all these things are happening on the day that it was there. And then uh, on the 15th day of the month, it says, and this is the Feast of Unleavened Bread in Leviticus 23.6. On the 15th day of the month, the Lord's Feast of Unleavened Bread begins... For seven days you must eat bread without yeast. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 and 8, Get rid of the old yeast that, you've been, uh, that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore let us keep the festival not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with the bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. Well, um, in John 6, we also know that Jesus said what? I am the bread of life. So now, now we have um, Jesus as the Passover lamb. We also have Jesus as the bread of life. And we have these connections happening that, uh, that, you know, that uh, his body's going to be broken at this thing. He's going to be the bread of life. He's offering himself in that I am the bread of life. So you have two now of the feast that Jesus is arriving on the scene. He's fulfilling perfectly at the right dates. And he's going through the process of these things that had been um, celebrated forever and, and for you know lots and lots of years heading up to the process. So Jesus perfectly fulfilling these things on the right days. Well, then there's this little one called first fruits. First fruits. This is feast number three, Leviticus 23, 10 and 11. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I'm going to give you and reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheep of the first grain you harvest. He is to wave the sheep before the Lord so it will be appreciated on your behalf, so accepted on your half. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. Okay, so, so you know there was a rush to get Jesus in because of the Sabbath, and then the Sabbath would have been all day Saturday, right? And we have Sunday morning when they go back to the tomb. And so this first fruit things is Sunday, uh, the day after the Sabbath. And, and so it's pretty fascinating. First fruits needs to happen. So this first fruit offering would have been the very first harvest of a season, all right? The smallest harvest they have, but it was a way to honor that harvest. Now, Paul uh, gives a little light in this. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 through 24, 
It says, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all be made alive, but each in his own tune, Christ the firstfruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him, and then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, and he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. So Paul calls Christ the firstfruits. We have that thing, so he's, he's, he's you know, connecting that whole process that, that Jesus was the first in this process, but there's this neat little passage of Scripture in Matthew 27 that most people skip over. And, and uh, it's in verses 51 through 53. And it says, At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rock split and the tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. And they came out of the tombs and after Jesus, after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. You don't hear that talked about much, right? Because... Because that had to be pretty something, right? Now, out of nowhere, a bunch of people pop up out of the grave and they, they're seen in Jerusalem. When are they seen? After Jesus' resurrection. What's going on? Well, well, that's the first little first fruit harvest. Jesus and these people that popped up when, when Jesus gave up the Spirit and the curtain was torn. Here come some people who are resurrected and they show up after Jesus is resurrected. That next day, boom. Here comes the... So that's the first fruit. That's the first little harvest it's fitting prophetically perfectly with what was supposed to happen, and here it happens. you think that would have got some people's attention. I always wonder why that's not a bigger deal than it is. Most people go, is that in the Bible? Boom, right there. Matthew. And people go, hmm, ah, well, I don't know. what the, but There they go. What'd they do then? I don't know. <laughs> but they, they happened. All right. So, pretty cool now. Out of the seven feasts, when Jesus comes, this coming Holy Week, what we're celebrating... He perfectly fulfills Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. So you go, that's pretty cool. There's only seven. What's going on? Well, another one that happens now, and we'll be celebrating this 50 days from next weekend, uh, is a little thing called Pentecost. And we know Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit comes um, for us. But it's a perfect fulfillment of the feast, Pentecost. Leviticus 23, 15, and 16. From the day after the Sabbath... The one that we were just talking about, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, when this little first fruit happened, count off seven full weeks, count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. So uh, you got this 50-day period, and then you're going to have another harvest that needs to be celebrated. That's what Pentecost is. It's the second of harvest. So there was an early harvest, and then some of the crops come in 50 days later, and there's going to be another celebration of the Lord. They call it Pentecost because of the days. And, uh, and so what we need to have happen is we need to have some sort of little harvest that takes place. Well, what takes place in Acts 2.41? Uh, when the Holy Spirit perfectly comes and fulfills that one, Peter gets up and preaches a message. And when me, uh, Peter's done preaching his message, uh, it says this in Acts 2.41, Those who accepted his message were baptized... And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So you got another perfect fulfillment of another little harvest. You had the early one happen with Jesus, the first fruits, and that little group that popped out of the tomb, whatever that was. And then now, 50 days later, boom, number four, perfectly fulfilled. Here it comes. They can see it happen. And if the, the lights are popping off, wow, this is really taking place. So of the seven feasts, four have already been fulfilled uh, perfectly by Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Now, Three left. They're not fulfilled yet. The next one coming is trumpets. 
Um, and the Feast of Trumpets occurs at the end of the largest of the harvest seasons. So there was a, now there's, so there's first, but a little tiny harvest that they just get when the first things start happening to give thanks to the Lord. 50 days later, more crops have come in. We're going to celebrate that. Now we're going to have this big harvest season. And at the end, we're going to have another celebration. Leviticus 23, 24, say to the Israelites, on the first day of the seventh month, you're to have a day of rest, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blast. Well, here's the deal. So we're, we're waiting for a trumpet. We know that marks the return of the Lord in lots of different ways. Let me read you 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive or left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll be with the Lord forever. So the, the trumpet signifies the end of the harvest. And so it's, it's, that's when the harvest ends. That's the end of the deal. We're in this period of amazing grace and mercy right now when people are being you know, harvested. Hopefully we're coming into the kingdom. And this God is allowing by His grace until the time when He comes back uh, with trumpet sound. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we'll all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. I always read that verse and I, verse 51, you know, they put that in a lot of nurseries. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. I didn't know if you knew that or not. That's a little added bonus. Um, see, and there's a whole other set of stuff wrapping itself into this trumpet one, which is when, when and, and wrapped into the whole thing with time, 749. So, you know, com, you know, we celebrate communion, right? Well, at the Last Supper, Jesus, is, that's where it comes from, is communion. They're going through this dinner, and, and they, they hit this spot in the communion where they're doing glasses of wine. That's why we do communion, we do. And on that that third one, he actually changes the entire sort of way that they always do it into something else. And it ties in with a Jewish proposal. Uh, and um, when, just briefly, when, when, a, when a young Jewish man uh, saw a woman uh, that he, he thought he would like to be married to, and if it hadn't been prearranged, which a lot of Jewish things were, but uh, if it wasn't, um, what he would do is he would go to the home of this woman and present himself and make his case to the father about what he was going to do and what kind of husband he would be. And, and then he, uh, from his own flask, he would, he would put out a glass, a, a glass and he would put wine in it. And the young lady would be invited into the room. And, and she was to depend on her intuition to decide if this was God for her or not. You know, she was supposed to take the time. And if she felt like that would be something that was suitable, and this guy was suitable, she would drink from the glass. If she didn't drink from the glass, no deal. Wasn't going to happen. She had, the, she had the whole deal was in her. All right, well, Jesus changes in that thing from Passover and all of a sudden he basically proposes because he's the bridegroom and the church is the bride and when the when the disciples drink from that cup they're in effect saying yes to that proposal and then he immediately says Jesus said I'm going to go and prepare a place for you which is what would happen in a Jewish proposal ceremony the husband at that point in effect when she drinks from that wine they're betrothed but he he can't take her with him until he has a place for her so he would go back to his father's house, and he would build a room for them, um, which is how things happened back then. And when it was done, and only the father would know 
Because if the groom, he's going to be anxious to get his bride, I always tease. He would just run back, throw down a sleeping bag, say, done, and go get his bride, right? But the father would say when it was time to go back, and he would have to, he would make the groom take. It would usually take quite a while. They would build this part of the house, make it right. Then the father would say, go get your bride. And when the groom would go for the bride, because she was supposed to be ready, but she never knew, at some distance he would blow a trumpet so she'd know it was time. He was coming. But she should already be ready. There's lots of stories in that. But she had a little bit of time so she would know he's coming. Well, that whole thing is tying into this too because Jesus has said, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you and I'm going to come. When's he going to come? He's going to blow a trumpet. Who's going to go? We are because he's the bridegroom and we're the bride and all this amazing stuff is happening in this whole thing. And so we're prophetically sitting on trumpets. Right now we're supposed to stay busy because there's a harvest going on. And Jesus even said there's, the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. So we need to be out there doing our part. But um, that's what's coming. Then there's atonement. Hasn't happened yet. Leviticus 23, 27. The tenth day of the seventh month is the day of the atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present an offering made to the Lord by fire. Verse 32. It's a Sabbath of rest for you. You must deny yourselves from the evening of the ninth day of the month till the following evening you would observe your Sabbath. Zechariah 13. On that day a fountain will be opened to the house of David. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse him from sin and impurity. Verse 6, if someone asks him, what are these wounds on your body? He answered, the wounds I was given at the house of my friends. Romans eleven twenty six. and so all Israel will be saved. It is written, the deliverer will come to Zion and he will turn godlessness away from Jacob. It looks like prophetically at that point in time, there's an opportunity for um, what's left of the remnant of Israel to repent. Not all of history is real, but this group that's left at that point in time. Because um, atonement, uh, Jesus dealt for us at the cross. So he's already he's paid for our sins. There's a lot going on there. But that's coming. And that's probably in that last seven-year gap that we're waiting on to be fulfilled. And then Tabernacles comes. And we sort of touched on that the other day on, on a weekend. Uh, and it lasts, and they were living booths, but it talks about our eternal dwelling and what that looks like and God taking care of us. So anyway, um, for me, you know, what I get excited about is seeing four fulfilled. I know that number five is coming, and uh, that's the big one for us, and, and, and he's going to come and get us at Trumpet's house. So we can, and we can confidently know that he's coming because we've seen him fulfilled all that's, you know, in front of it. So he's coming, just a matter of when. And we got plenty to do because the harvest is plentiful. So that's what we do. We stay busy. We stay ready, just like the, the brides, you know, that were supposed to stay ready the, with their oil lit and ready to go. Well, at the same time, staying busy and doing what we need to do. But uh, that's enough for today. That's a lot to think about. Go and read that stuff um, and just be amazed at how, how amazing the Bible is and how all these things are in there for us and ask God to continue to show them to you in the process. If you're watching by video, thanks for watching. Come and see us when you get a chance. We'd love to have you here. And uh, God bless you. If you have prayer requests, why don't you pass them up to us and we will... Uh